I did read a lot of true crime to prepare for it. And um, I read a lot about serial killers. So I'm pretty familiar with, um, you know, some, some serial killer type of knowledge. And that was, that was really fun. It got a little dark. I'll say that. (laughs) It's the Liars Club Podcast. A weekly conversation filled with insights, tips, and secrets from the myriad of creative people who make stuff up for a living. Stay tuned and you can hear from New York Times bestselling authors, National Book Award finalists, debut novelists, screenwriters, musicians, composers, cartoonists, actors, stand-up comedians, line tamers, and all manner of creators who burn the midnight oil and sometimes their dinner. Whether you're a reader or a fellow writer, join us as we plumb the depths of the creative process for inspiration, semi-plausible stories, and a few laughs. So grab a libation, sit back, and spend some quality time with the creative folks who make stuff up for a living in a lively conversation with The Liars Club. How do we sound, John? Uh, we sound uh, very smart and uh, erudite. <laughs> oh, and then on that, on that note, then we're going to start this silly oddcast because the fact of the matter is it's been quite the experience. So here we are once again, ladies and gentlemen, all together, sort of all together, the oddcast crew... Uh, is in all together except for me, Keith Strunk, who is sitting currently at JFK outside of Gate 8 at Terminal 1. So if you want to find me, that's where I'm at. So there you go. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get started. I'm Keith Strunk. John McGarren. Mary Jones. Gregory Frost. And I'm Kelly Simmons. And I am lucky enough to have <laughs> to be here today, despite technical difficulties that would massive that would fell a, a lesser person. Um, and I would know because I am a lesser person. <laughs> so Kate Moretti has worked in the pharmaceutical industry, but we don't hold that against her, for 20 years nope. as a scientist and enjoys traveling and cooking. She lives in Pennsylvania. She has two kids. There are no known ghosts in her house. Her nope. First, no. No. So fortunate. Well, you know, Halloween, so we mentioned. Well, known ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> known ghosts. Kate's first novel, I Thought I Knew You, was a New York Times bestseller. The Vanishing Year was a nominee in the Goodreads Choice Awards Mystery Thriller category and was called Chillingly Satisfying mm-hmm. with superb closing twists. <laughs> I know, that sounds good. I had one of those ones. And her latest novel. <laughs> her latest, we don't talk about your colon. I know, no, we don't have it anymore, no. Not after that twist. Her latest novel, In Her Bones, follows the daughter of a convicted serial killer who finds herself at the center of a murder investigation. In Her Bones was called Exceptional, Emotionally Astute, Deliciously Sinister. In Mm. Kirkus Review's starred review, and we all know what a pain in the ass cranky pants they are. (laughs) So, welcome, Kate. Thank you for making the time. Hello, thanks for having me. Hey. That's what all the kids say when they leave your house, right? <laughs> After a, a summer party. Thank you for having. Thank you. For Thanks me. for having me. <laughs> Actually, no, they they just leave. <laughs> exactly. Your mother's haunt. So I have noticed that the traditional first question for all thriller writers who are female is always, "How can you write this dark shit when you seem like such a nice person?" But I know everybody wants to know that like they think there's like some I don't know like if I can't be for especially for women if you're happy and you're pleasing and you you know wear makeup and you look nice it seems like you shouldn't be able to write all this terrible stuff and I think that's a bunch of bullshit but yeah. um that is definitely a very common question like you seem so nice and the answer is I am nice but right. it's imagination you know yeah. <laughs> 
that on the page. Well, I happen to know you a little bit, and I know that you're not that nice, and you have a secret heart of darkness. So we want to hear I do have a little bit about your secret heart of darkness that we know you have. Um, I do have, I do kind of have a secret heart of darkness. You know, it's funny because um, my first novel was, uh, it was, a, it was about a woman whose husband goes on a business trip and he doesn't come home. And while that is kind of a mystery, um, and it, it definitely, you know, drove the story forward. Like the reader turns pages hoping to find out what happened to him. And you do find out what happened to him. The story itself was mostly about um, a woman having to move on in the face of that uncertainty with, she had two little kids and, um, you know, and, and then there's a romance. And so it was like a very nice, I won't say it was a very nice story. Like there was some darker parts to it, but it was kind of, it was a lighter read, you know? And um, when I got done with it, I thought, well, I'm done. That's, I'm all done now. <laughs> and um, I always, I, I always tell this story that I gave it to my mom to read. You know, it was like, mom, I wrote a novel and most parents would be like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I gave it to her. And when she gave it back to me, you know, she was like, well, I read your book. And uh, you know, I just really, this is what she says. I, she says, I really just thought the boyfriend was going to be the killer. And I said, mom, there's no killer in the book at all. Like nobody, there's no murderer. There's nothing. She said, yeah, you know, I was a little bit disappointed by that. And, uh, <laughs> it's a subgenre. It's somebody. It's a subgenre of, yeah. No, really. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, I think what happened was I got, I, you know, I wrote that nice book and then I, I, and that's, when, you know, not because my mom said that, but after she, when she said that, I was like, yeah, I know. I, I, I wish there had been a murderer too. It's sort of the other side of it. And, um, I think it comes from just a lifetime of reading. Like I, I grew up reading, um, uh, like I like procedurals, like I like Michael Connelly, you know? So, right. um, I, I just, I, I feel like I, I did the women's fiction thing as sort of like a way to figure out how to write. And then after that, it was so much more interesting to me to see how normal people could get themselves in much bigger trouble. Mm -hmm. And um, put them under a lot more pressure than a love story. Um, right. And, you know, put them in a situation where the stakes are the highest they could possibly be. Right. And that to me is, you know, life and death. And so I, I can't ever see myself writing anything but that. Um, I don't know though, you know, you never know. Um, I did write a short story recently that was more of like a, it was more of like a slice of life story. It wasn't, it, there was no, suspense thread or murder thread through it um and and that was just in an anthology that came out called a thousand doors with jt ellison and a, a huge list of like really great suspense writers um but the story i contributed to that was not a thriller or murder story so maybe i don't know maybe maybe i would go back and write the nice stuff but right now i like the dark art <laughs> so, so now now that you're writing the darker stuff does your mother love you <laughs> yeah yeah she likes me a lot better Okay, but yeah. I will say, <laughs> <laughs> better. I like that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I still. I, she even likes the in her bones, and the the that story is a serial killer mother. Right. And right. and she even likes that. Although she, you know, my mom always has opinions. She always says, "Well, I didn't like the ending of this one, or I didn't like this." You know, she's still a mom. <laughs> <laughs> but she seems to like. She seems to like dark stuff too. So maybe you come by. Oh, my mom. Oh, for sure. Genetically, genetically. Yeah. So, I wanted yeah. the boyfriend to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's have some murder. And at least your mom reads. Right. 
Yes. I mean, a lot of families, you can't get it. You can't pay your relatives to read Well, most of the time true. when they do, they go, that's nice. That's about all you get. <laughs> or they pretend. Oh, right, right, right. They pretend yeah. they've read it, and you realize they've only read the jacket. <laughs> uh, right. First page here, this word. So you touched on um, that in your new book uh, was about uh, a, serial, a serial killer um, who is, who is uh, the main character's mother. And I would imagine you've done some interesting research and background um, to prepare you for that. Can you tell us a little bit about who you talked to or, who, or who you killed? You know, it was funny when I decided that I wanted to write a, um, a basically a child of a violent offender. Um, it was, it was sort of interesting. And I, I did read a lot of, I read, I read some true crime. Um, uh, I, you know, uh, Catherine Ramsland, who's local, she wrote the, the book about the BTK killer. And, um, I read that and, uh, I, I read, um, I'll find you in the dark. Right. Is that it? Oh my the God. true crime that just, yeah, it's so terrifying. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so I read, I mean, but that, by that point my book was written, so that wasn't entirely researched, but I did read a lot of true crime to prepare for it. Um, and, um, I read a lot about serial killers, so I'm pretty familiar with, um, you know, some, some serial killer type of knowledge. And that was, that was really fun. It got a little dark. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> um, I did try to, I try, so, um, the, where the, um, main character's mother is located is Muncie, Pennsylvania, which is the, um, it's the only, it's the only facility in Pennsylvania that houses women on death row. Now, Pennsylvania uh, um, is a death penalty state, but they don't, they, it's not enacted very often, um, very frequently. And um, they have never um, uh, killed a woman. So she, there's only like five women on death row in Pennsylvania. And um, <clears throat> they are probably never going to get executed. But I thought that whole thread was pretty fascinating. So I did a lot of research on um, the, Mun the Muncie Correctional in uh, Institution. And <laughs> I, so I found some pictures online which was sort of interesting because it looks like a college campus. Like it doesn't even, it does not look like a, a prison. Really? And um, yeah, it's really. They call it terminal degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, it's super pretty. The grounds are really pretty. And um, it's in this, it's this looks like this old building. I mean, if there's other outbuildings, you know, but the, the main um, administration building is very pretty. And so I thought that that was really interesting. And I ended up calling them. Um, and they would not talk to me. <laughs> so, you know, she said, well, what are the questions that you have? I said, well, I'm a writer and, you know, I'm writing about a woman who is an inmate at your facility. And I was wondering if I could, you could answer some questions. And she said, you're going to have to write them up and mail them to me and I'll call you back. And I said, well, can I email you? And she said, no. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, then I know that this is never going to happen. Yeah. Um, who do I got to kill to get some answers around here? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's fine. I'll just, I'll get myself put in there, you know, all in the name of uh, authentic research and whatnot. Just so sure I did that. Really incognito. <laughs> are, we, are, we allowed, are we allowed to talk about um, someone who reached out to you about, after the publication of your book? 
regarding? So yeah, that's, that is a really interesting story. And you know, it's funny because I, I, I am a little bit unsure about how much I can say. So, but she's very public and I admire the work she does. So what happened was when I was doing the research for this book, I was very careful that, um, it's kind of a weird thing when you write about crime, there's always someone that lives the life that you're sort of exploiting, right? Like I'm doing this for entertainment value, but somebody somewhere has like lived through this. Right. As long as you're, you're writing about things that happen on earth. So I'm always very cognizant of that, which is a weird thing to be aware of when you're trying to write these like thrillers, you know, you want to write something as astronomical and crazy as possible because you want people to turn the pages. But at the same time, I'm always a little bit leery that somebody is going to be like, well, you just used my story, you know? Right. right. So um, there are a lot of children of um, violent offenders and some of them uh, don't fare so well out in the real world. Um, some of them have, they, you know, there are, um, I think it's Charles Manson has a couple of kids and at least one of them has committed suicide. So um, I learned some of this and, and I was a little bit leery of, and some of them have spoken very publicly. So I was a little bit leery of like really going into thorough research on that because I didn't want to subconsciously steal their story. Right. I wanted it to be something born from my imagination and how I would feel if I was in this place, you know? Um, and, and if that, if it's, if it ends up not being accurate or true to someone else's life experience, that's okay. Um, so, but after I was done and the book was turned in and I was, you know, I mean, at this point, I think I was even done with copy edits. Um, I saw this interview on Upworthy with this woman named Jen Carson and her father was a serial murderer in California. He's not, he's, I don't think he's a name that we would know. It, it isn't anyone I've heard. And, um, she was talking about this my book like it wasn't my book but she was talking about this story that was like identical to the character that I had written so I shared it on my Facebook page oh it was so weird like I felt like I was listening like if I could close my eyes I was listening to my character talk like she was talking about the stigma of being a child of a violent offender she was talking about all the stuff that I had done some research on and and tried to really like I don't know subtly put into the text she was saying out loud having lived it and it was a bizarre like I, I was so I shared it because I said you know and I, I put a little I put basically this is the, the text that um I tried not to steal anyone's story blah 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 but this is kind of interesting so she contacted me and she she was like you know I've read your book, um, blah, blah, blah. Like we had like a, an actual conversation and the whole thing, the whole relationship was so strange. Um, and she's been on the today show. She has been all over. She advocates, well, she advocates for a ton of things. Like basically, well, <laughs> basically her life is advocating for, um, children of violent offenders, but really just anyone like she, I mean, she has, a lot of different causes and she's super active and super outspoken and I admire her so much. Um, but <laughs> she, so anyway, we went, we kind of chatted back and forth, but it was a little bit strange because I didn't want to say like, do you want to read my book about the life I thought you might've lived? And you know, also, totally um, there is the, there's a thread in the book of the stigma that my character has to live up to because her mom was so famous, you know? And um, so I, it was just a very bizarre interaction. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of still, and I still do, I still think she's sort of kind of an amazing person. So I think she has like really used her situation for good, which I, I completely admire. 
But at the same time, it was a very, (laughs) such a weird conversation. Like I invented this person. So we have a lot in common, but it's all fake. (laughs) Really how it was. There's chat rooms for everything now, aren't there? Yeah, like, you know, I, mean, I stop at this point. I don't, keep going. That's, uh, yeah. Well, you wouldn't want you wouldn't. I know what you mean, though. When you when you write fiction and yet you do research in the nonfiction world, you don't want anyone to think that um, that you've you know tapped tapped in and stolen something real. Yeah, it, fa- it fascinates me that you this happened to you because the question I was going to ask you, given all the research you did uh, or you do for the books, was do you ever surprise yourself or does anything? you know, that you write then surprise you given that you've done an enormous amount of research and you kind of know the depth of the material that you're working with. Um, yeah, you know, I, I will say that I think that um, this, just this woman speaking surprised me because like I said, I didn't, I, I read one interview a long time ago when I first started researching the book and it was the, um, Oh, she was, you know what, it was a, it was a daughter of, um, again, I think it was West Coast, like Oregon. And it was, he was a, a serial murderer too, but not a famous one that we would know. Maybe if you lived in that area, you'd know him. Um, but it wasn't anybody I heard of. And, and so I read that interview and I was like, okay, that's when I sort of cut myself off. And I was like, no, 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 this could get really, like, I don't want to do this. It feels uncomfortable. Well, sometimes so, you research too much, too much, right? Yeah. And then you yeah, can't yeah. find your way back. Right. And so I didn't want to know too much. And I really just wrote the entire point of view character of Edie from my imagination, like how I would imagine it would be or how I would imagine it would feel. Um, Especially when you're from, I mean, I live in the suburbs, like I'm really familiar with judgment, right? So (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the whole world must just judge you. You know what I mean? That's what was my assumption going into this. So um it was just, that was the most surprising thing to me is to listen to this woman speak after the book was written, after it was copy edited, after I'd done all the work and have it be so close to what I imagined. Mm. Um, yeah. That was like, I mean, it was really just, it was amazing, but also terrible because <laughs> uh, it took me a little while to, to recover from the writing of this book because it was so dark. Right. Um, and it was so hard to live in that world for so long that, um, so when I had, you know, I was starting to come out the other side and then I listened to her talk and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe she like lives this life. So I was really, it was just such a, I can't, I can't explain it, but I was very proud of myself, but at the same time, I felt really terrible about it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I can imagine that would have been really spooky. Now I'm wondering, you know, cause you have daughters as, as I do. And I'm wondering if you're struggling yet, given their ages, um, with when you might allow them to to peek at your work and and understand what mommy does for a living, have have they shown any interest? And in what age do you think is the right age to let a child read an adult thriller? Wait, wait, oh you think God, seven, no. years, seven years old too soon? Yeah, really? I think seven's too <laughs> soon. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, I think at this point they would just be really appalled by the number of of f-bombs in the book um sex sex stuff yeah so uh you know it's funny i haven't i haven't given a lot of thought to that but what i have given thought to is um like when like how i will feel when i'm ready for that you know what i'm trying to say like so i have a, a friend whose daughter is 14 and we were at um I was at the baseball field a couple weeks ago and, and she said, Oh, you know, uh, my daughter is reading your book. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> and I, 
I said to her, she's a friend. And I said, listen, I, I, I love you and I love your daughter. And I'm not entirely sure that's a great idea. <laughs> and uh, she was like, oh, really? You know, she said, I didn't think it would be, you know, that bad again, because you're a very nice person. And um, <clears throat> I was like, no, I, I, I'm not sure 14 is like the right age. I said, why don't you read it first? And then you can judge. I said, but it is absolutely not meant for children. And it was Blackbird season, which has I'm the point of view of a teenager. Yes. So she, she said, like, are you sure? Because it has, like, a teenager point of view. And I was like, yeah, I know, but it's totally not for teenagers. <laughs> so um, she did read it, and she was like, I think maybe we should wait till like, 16. <laughs> and I said, probably. Well, you probably get that from stores. I know I do. Um, there'll be a, a fairly mature um, teen reader with her mom, and she really wants, she really wants you know, one of our books because she, you know, she likes thrillers or she likes suspense, and the mom you know, wants to let her have her way, and they, they say, well, is it okay? So then you're in the position of kind of judging and picking an arbitrary age. So I always say, you know, if she's, if she's mature, and she reads a lot, yes. Well, then again, there's a takeoff point for great parental to child bonding because you have all these things to talk about. I agree. Gives I a chance for Mom, she yeah. to me yeah. about how this person strung this person up. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, it's our <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how blood clots and all Yeah. yeah my, I, I let, I, I'm, I'm pretty open with my kids. So um, I want to be cognizant of your time. I have just, a, just another question, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll head on into our – famous last question um okay <laughs> I, just wanted, I just wanted to say that um i know that you've experienced a range of publishers and editors as many writers have on their journey and i wondered how you feel at this stage of the game what do you think is the value of of having an editor and having a team around you to help guide you or do you feel like the editorial process still has great value to you or do you feel like you're kind of your own machine hmm. Oh, geez. Um, no, I need an editor. Oh, my goodness. I don't know where to put a comma to save my life. Um, <laughs> Good. No, and it's not just commas, you know, like, I, it's everything. Um, within Her Bones, you know, that was my fifth novel, but I wrote a novella, too, so sixth book, I guess, but, you know, one of them was, like, half. Um, <clears throat> and I still, actually, In Her Bones had the longest editing process of any of my books and I don't <laughs> I kept saying am I getting worse or are you getting tougher wow. and uh I think it was just a, a it was just a, a um a challenging novel for me um and for a couple different reasons some technically some um motivation wise stuff like that but um <clears throat> for me I need the team so yeah. my editor had sent me five editorial letters and each one was 10 to 12 pages long. Um, I was just yeah, they were really recently and they were shocked. They were just shocked. Yeah. I pulled one out and showed them and it was single spaced. Ooh, <laughs> no. uh-huh. It was that many pages in single Ouch. space. You know, I mean, um, yep. nothing prepares you for that, does it? I mean, nothing you go through in college or high school prepares you for that. Mm. No, um, I will say that, you know, you think that you would get more prepared the more books that you write. Um, But again, this one seemed to be the biggest struggle, which just doesn't, it doesn't feel like that's how it should be. Um, It should be getting easier, not harder. You know, that's what you you think. And and for some reason it doesn't. And I can't, I don't know exactly why. You're tackling tougher material. I think you're, you're stepping up your, your vision for what, for your own work. Probably. I can can think of so many writers though, who say that the last book I wrote did not in any way prepare me for the next book. 
that I wrote. Like, right. And that's how I feel like every single time I sit down to write. Now, now I have an idea for a book and I just have to start it. And instead of starting it, I went to a martini lunch today with Amy oh. and Bill Berry. So, here, here. like, I, you know, I feel hugely, I feel hugely unprepared for the next book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to well, comment on your editorial um, experiences because I think you're really lucky to have editors who are so invested in your work that they will go through it and mm. write you a 12 page letter because and not every writer gets that experience, and you're lucky, to have, you're lucky to have that. Oh, I have been so incredibly lucky with my editors, and I'm sad because um, I was with Simon and, I am with Simon and Schuster at Atria, and my editor left, so I'm kind of orphaned over there right now. Um, I, don't, I don't have an editor over there, so I mean, I don't really know what the future holds. And um, the editor I was working with went to St. Martin's, and so maybe I'll end up with her again. I don't know. I really liked working with her. I, I mean, she said she liked working with me. I don't, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> Editors lie. Yeah. So yeah. I've been, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be, um, you know. I think that um, you'll be terrific no matter, no matter what the future is, even though you don't have the name of your next book. We're sure it's going to be great. But, um <laughs> To help readers know how to look for your next book, we're going to take a shot at describing the cover before we move on to our last question. We're going to okay. because people can't see it. I want to make sure that it, it's very blurry. The cover, it's got. <laughs> it, it's like. Um, is that supposed to be a train going by? I think it's yes. a train okay. with this with the. It white, is a train. Kind of reddish brown and purplish. And then her hair is being blown back, uh -huh. you know, like that girl on House of Cards who got killed. <laughs> what was her name? Zoe something? Yeah, yes. Early like, on. There she yeah. is right there. She's back. Very colorful, gray and red. And the typography in her bones looks like it's moving also. So right. it's all a blur. Kate Moretti. It is all a blur. All a blur. It's all a blur for she well, spends, spends a lot of time. Exactly. <laughs> it actually... Um, <laughs> it actually takes place uh, mostly in Center City, Philadelphia, and so she spends a lot of time on the train. Oh, fun! Uh, so it makes sense. Oh, that is that the subway or the regional <laughs> rail then? That looks like the regional. Um, rail, I think maybe uh, I think both because she okay. does go Good out answer. the city a couple of times. <laughs> you, you, you covered. It. Oh, there's, a <laughs> there's a blurry reflection. It's scaring me now. Okay. So now, now's the time when we ask you to tell us two, two, uh, two lies and a truth, and we guess which one is true. Okay. About yourself. Okay. Yourself. Not, yeah. Not about your mom. About myself, right. Or your mom. <laughs> no, I'm not right. Nope, these will be about me. So you told me this, and I, I wrote a couple down. I'm actually a really boring person, so it took me a really long time to come up with, like, interesting truths. I could come up with a lot of good lies. But, but those are hard. Um, I was, those, it, those boring ones are harder to guess, so we, we applaud. Yeah. Okay, so I, I do have one boring one. So, okay, here we go. Ready? Yes. I, I wrote, um, I backpacked through Europe when I was like 22, uh, completely alone for three months. Um, and it was Eastern, mostly Eastern Europe. Um, that was the, that's number one. Okay. Uh, I love to read science fiction and fantasy. Um, it's sort of like an escape for me, something out of reality. Um, and num that was number two. Number three 
If I did not dye my hair every four weeks, I would be almost entirely white. My hair would be entirely, and I turned when I was like 23 or something, like really young. I got the lie. And that's number three. We, we, guessed, the tr- we guessed the truth, not the lie. But <laughs> I, if, you can, if you can guess the other lie. I'm accusing. I thought it was two truths and a lie. Two lies and a I know, it's two truths and a lie. I, only one of them's a lie. Okay. So, right. All See? right. All right. That's what she All said. Right. That's what the man said. He said that. Okay. I got the lie. All right. So <laughs> one of them is a lie? Yes. All right. I'm going to read myself because I think I know. You think the hair is a lie? No, I think the fantasy and science fiction is a lie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I think I'm going with that as well. I agree with I Which agree one? with Mary. I think the I think the one that you do you, you don't escape science fiction and fantasy. That's a lie. Tell us. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one's a lie. How did you guys know that? Yes. All right. I feel oh. like I lost. Well, like, I, I lost like I should have wanted this. Turn to science fiction. I mean, no, I, but the opposite is true. Science fiction yeah. writers turn to suspense for, for casual comfort reading. I knew those two things <laughs> from another martini lunch, I think, that we had once. So I think I, well, I always kind of do the same things because I'm super boring. And the only two th- interesting things about me are I backpack Europe and I have white hair. <laughs> when, did your, when did your hair start turning? When so I was like in my lost. 20s. Yeah. In your 20s? Mine, really early. Mine too. Hey, Greg and I and you are all platinum. That's a good word, platinum. Yeah. Platinum. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't embraced it yet. I still die. Twenty-three. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got I got a uh, a prominent gray spot when I was twenty-three. Did something scare you? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it was there early in the Reagan administration. Yeah, that that'll do it. Let me see if we can get you. And, right. and in and in an, and in an unusual turn of affairs, not one of us are bald. It would appear at the Liars Club. True. Oh, okay. Well, so uh, uh, with the science fiction, do, do you read it and just not seek escape from it, or do you just not like it? No, I can't read it. Like, I, it's like almost like a mind block. Um, I have a, I have friends who write like fantasy. So I have this one friend. Um, she's published through small press with me, uh, Katrina Monroe, and I love her writing. I love everything about it. And I have another, and she writes, she writes these, um, these like fairy tales, very dark. But um, it's like a spin on a fairy tale with like, there's always like murders and stuff in them. They're terrible. They're like, I mean, they're really good, but they're really awful. Yeah. And um, I, I, I like them, but it takes me for, I have to focus. Like, I cannot even tell you if it's not set on this earth and you're starting to tell me about different worlds. Yeah. I can't think. I think it's me. I think I'm dumb. I like, I just think that yeah. if I have to put myself in a different world, I can't. I can't stay there. Like my brain will not stay there. And it's so frustrating because I have so many friends who write in science fiction or fantasy. And I think it must be really fun to be able to do that, to be able to just escape the entire real world and go live somewhere else in your mind. Yeah. And I'm super jealous of the fact that not only can I write it, apparently I can't even read it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, the thing about this it's is, so there's, annoying. There's a joke about this, but it's actually a truth, which is that the golden age of science fiction, which is supposed to refer to the pulp era of the 30s and 40s, but the golden age of science fiction is 13. Which is to say, <laughs> if you didn't start reading this shit when you were 13, oh, you yeah. It. Like if you didn't start learning a foreign language when you were a kid, it's really hard to do it. And it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Science fiction and fantasy. Well, that's I believe that that's true. So, I mean, there are a couple things, like I love Star Wars, right? I love the movies. Um, 
so, I mean, there's a couple of things here and there that I get into. Like, I like the Harry Potter books. I can, I can get into those. Um, and uh, I actually, I read Wolf, and I was able to live in that world just fine. So, it's weird. I, it, you just don't like your friend. I think it has to. <laughs> I, maybe I just I love my friend. And this was a funny Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. I hope she's listening to this. <laughs> yeah, but you see, if you like your fiction, it would spoil a friendship. So. Right. All right. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's just a mind block. I've tried a bunch of other things, and every once in a while, something will grab me, and I can stick with it. But well, maybe, otherwise, it's like a mind block. Maybe just keep drinking, which we applaud <laughs> yeah. you for. So, thank you, Katie. Yeah, I am thank going you, to keep doing martini lunches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good. Thank you for hanging in there. All right. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 If you enjoy the Liars Club podcast and the other fine shows on Project Entertainment Network, check out the cool stuff for sale at the Project Entertainment Network store or consider supporting Project Entertainment Network on Patreon.com. And as always, many thanks for your continued support. My Favorite Story, a podcast author anthology featuring short fiction from the hosts of the Project Entertainment Network shows. Three guys with beards. Jim Moore, Jonathan Maybar, and Chris Golden. Tom Clark from Necrocast, Ig on Brian Keen of The Horror Show, Chuck Buda, and Armand Rosamilli of The Mando Method, Mary San Giovanni of Cosmic Shenanigans, Jay Wilbin from Matters of Faith, John Urban Sick of Ink Stains, Bill Zong's Mr. Frank, available on Kindle and in paperback and through the Project Entertainment Network store, www.projectentertainmentnetwork.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 